Hey, soccer fans. Welcome back to Feed the Fire, a Chicago Fire podcast. We are at episode 52, and we are previewing the Chicago Fire's next match at Montreal. We're also looking at the playoff picture, and we're going to review some Chicago Fire news to get you caught up with all things going on with the club, especially during this international break, which mercifully came at the perfect time for the Chicago Fire to help them maybe get their feet under them and end this four-game skid. We're going to see if they can do it against Montreal right after this great intro music. Hey, Fire fans, welcome back to Feed the Fire, a Chicago Fire podcast. I am your host, Nick. It's episode 52. We've passed the half-century mark, and we are rolling on, covering all things Chicago Fire and Major League Soccer. Now, as I mentioned before the intro music, the Fire are back in action after a weekend off. Thank goodness they needed to really hit reset on a few things. The locker room culture, maybe some coaching tactics. Uh, maybe some coaching personalities, and maybe some just getting away from losing for a minute. They are traveling to Montreal this Saturday, September 16th. Kickoff is 6.30 p.m. Central Time. And they do not have an easy test against Montreal. And I say that in part because the fire have looked bad. And I also say that in part because Montreal is sitting in the eighth spot in the Eastern Conference playoff race. And they do not want to let go of making the playoffs right now. So it is going to be a hard-fought battle from the home team. So let's take a look a little bit at Montreal and see where they stand, what we can expect from them, and maybe how the fire can exploit them. So again, Montreal sitting in eighth place. They have three wins and two losses in their last five matches. Decent-ish form, at least compared to Chicago, that is. Uh, And they're on 35 points on the season. Looking at their home record, though, Nine wins, four losses at home. Not too bad. But the Fire are three wins, eight losses, and two draws on the road. So we really can't say the Fire are are very good at home or very good on on the road, but we can say they are not good on the road. And so this kind of tips the things in favor of Montreal here. But any conversation with Montreal right now does need to start with looking at at their, at their transfers, their, their summer transfer window. So back in, in April, right when the window opened, they ended up sending uh, Kamal Miller and $1.3 million in general allocation money to Inter-Miami in return getting midfielder Bryce Duke and winger, striker, midfielder, combo player, whatever you want to call him, Ariel Lassiter. Now this trade at the time for a lot of people didn't really look like much other than Miami creating a roster space and getting some allocation money to begin signing Leo Messi and co. Uh, But then Montreal found good ways to use them. They also traded, and this was a big general allocation money trade. I think it was 1.7 million over to LAFC to sign Quadu Opoku. And they just extended his contract through 2026 And I think there's an option for 2027 as well. So Montreal actually may be able, if they can really build him up a little bit, and he's been playing pretty good for them lately, they might be able to recoup some of the money that they spent on his deal if they can find uh, a a buyer, another club internationally perhaps. But they get 
Bryce Duke, Ariel Lasseter, and Kwadu Opoku as their big signings during this summer window. Since those three players have joined the team, Opoku has two goals, Duke has two goals and an assist, and Lasseter has a goal and two assists. So they have absolutely found starting roles, contributing roles, and are being noticed and making an impact, pun intended, on this Montreal team. Let's take a look at the lineup. We, we've mentioned the three kind of moves that they've made, but let's look at some of their recent lineups and see how that is going to stack up against the Chicago Fire. Lately, they have been playing a 3-4-1-2 formation. Three center backs, four midfielders, an attacking midfielder, and then two strikers. And the, the two-striker system is, is suiting them well because they don't have one striker who is really head and shoulders above anyone else on their roster or you know, is some sort of all-star striker on the league. Speaking of, they didn't even have an all-star on this team. They had a commissioner's pick, all-star Schwaneri. Uh, I think Matthew Schwaneri is his name. Uh, and he honestly is actually tied uh, as, as one of the better players for Montreal this this week. And I'll, I'll get to him in a little bit. Um, but yeah, so they don't have a striker who can really assert himself on a match or against the opponent. So they're going with the two-striker system with an attacking midfielder. Uh, trying to have them be the ones that are generating the offense. And if you know if you don't have option one going on the day, option two and then option three are right there for you. And we have Apoku and Vosaint as the dual strikers typically, or what we've seen in their last several matches. With former Chicago Fire bust, I think it's safe to say, when you can't score against a USL team, you're a bust in the MLS. Then again, that might mean the Chicago Fire are just a bust as a club, but you know, no surprise there. Uh, former Chicago Fire striker Shinonso of four coming off the bench. Now he was starting for them the first half of the season before picking up Opoku and Duke and Lasseter. So now he's been coming off the bench lately. And here we are, the aforementioned Schwanere. Uh Shinonso of four and Schwanere have four goals each on the season for Montreal, leading the team. But again, as we've mentioned, it's Apoko, Duke, and Lasseter who have been picking up the offensive slack as of late. Now, I would expect to see Bryce Duke as the attacking midfielder trying to receive the ball from their defensive midfielders and then play Apoku or Lasseter off the wing or 04 Vassant into those spaces, those through balls. Um, I don't expect to see Montreal doing a lot of one-two. I expect them to try and get those through balls for easy goals conversions there, or playing the balls out on the wing and getting uh, sliding it through, pull back, whatever you want to call it, or wherever they can find the space down the side for some easy tap-ins for the players. Again, I don't expect this Montreal team to try to go toe-to-toe, build possession, and and really just try to like outplay another team. I don't think they have the talent or the patience for that, uh, at least not yet. Maybe that is developing with these new signings. I would expect... Montreal to sign, uh, to sign, to start Samuel Piet as well as uh, Saliba and their center defensive mids uh, playing kind of a dual pivot. And for those of you who aren't too familiar with the, the phrase dual pivot, essentially when you're transitioning the ball from defense to offense and you have, that's the job of the midfielders, right? Being very general here. I, I know that that is the job of the midfielders to transition from defense to offense. So you're, you as a defender, if you only have one defensive midfielder who you're playing to, that would be considered a single pivot. And then usually they would transition into two attacking midfielders 
but in this case, we have seen Montreal playing with Piet and Saliba as two defensive midfielders, um, number sixes, if you will. So now you have two players who the defense can play to. And you'll see this used against teams who like to press and counterpress or who have a high line of confrontation or who want to control the midfield uh, in response teams will have a dual pivot because that gives you that extra player as an outlet for your defense, for your goalie, and that extra presence in midfield on the defensive side of things. Um, so again, that's great for Montreal in order to come out in that position, in, in that kind of formation, but it poses a problem for the Chicago Fire. And here's where I think you're going to see some of the tactical adjustments have to be made during this match. Montreal wants to win this game in the midfield. They have uh, again, three center backs, four mids, and then an attacking mid. They want to win in the midfield. If you want to go back, you know, to when I was a kid playing soccer, it's like a three-five-two formation. But again, three-four-one-two, modifying it a little bit here for Montreal and trying to focus the attack through Bryce Duke rather than always through the wings or always through the center, right? So you get it to Bryce Duke. He can feed the wings. He can feed the forwards. He kind of gets to run the show there. So where this is going to cause a problem for the Chicago Fire is that Montreal wants to control the midfield. Uh, we've seen the Fire try to play this same formation against good counterattacking teams. You know, three-man back line, stack the midfield, make it hard to play up the middle, and then the Fire just get beat down the wings. So that's what the Fire are going to have to do here. You are probably not going to see Gutierrez be as effective in the middle of the field dribbling the ball. You are going to see him, if he is effective, one and two touches, on the ball, and that's it. Then get it out wide. And man, this is a match I really wish we had Chris Mueller for because I think he would thrive against this type of Montreal formation and this type of Montreal defense. But we'll see who Frank Klopas wants to start out on the wings if he is going to have uh, Miguel Navarro pushing up or if, he, and if he's going to have Suke on the opposite side or if it's going to be more Jonathan Dean or Aceves or... I don't know, maybe he makes Fabian Herbers play outside. <laughs> Who knows? I really can't predict anything with any confidence that Frank Lopez is doing anymore. Now, getting back to the matchup between Montreal's tactics against the Chicago Fires. Montreal is going to want to control the midfield, right? The Fire are going to have to bring the ball up the wings. So this could be a good game for Miguel Navarro to push forward, maybe pick up another assist. This could be a good opportunity for the Fire to be lobbing some crosses into the box targeting Kai Kamara, God forbid, targeting Kasper Shabilko. Klopas, it would not surprise me at all if we see Shabilko start this game and then Kamara come in in like the 60-65th and, and it fail miserably, but Klopas comes in in the post game and says, well, you know, we this is the game plan we wanted. We thought we could beat them on the wings and play some good crosses in. And the thing is, it wouldn't be crazy from the numbers, it would be crazy because Kamara and Shabilko aren't performing this season. And in fact, the last time the Chicago Fire played Montreal, it was Yorgos Kutsias with an assist as well as a key pass that created the first two goals. And then the third one was that Jardin Shakiri beautiful set piece right off the training pitch uh, performance, finally showing why he might be almost worth $8 million. But of course, the Fire saved their best play for when they're already up to nothing at home to Montreal. That didn't make any sense to me. But anyway, like to me, it's like Shabilko and Kamara have underperformed. But if you look at Montreal 
statistically. Their goalkeeping is terrible. Their goalkeeping is at, I think they're 67.5% save percentage, fifth worst in the league. Additionally, they are, I want to say the worst or the second worst at a goalkeeper stopping crosses coming in. So their goalkeeping is extremely suspect. And so Klopas might point to this and say, hey, this is why we brought the ball up the wings. This is why we're crossing it in. This is why we have Shabilko and Kamara in this game and not Kutsius, despite all the evidence to the contrary over the rest of the season and over the course of the prior game. Defensively, the Chicago Fire are going to have to be worried about Opoku, Vilsaint, and Ofor getting behind their lines. If Bryce Duke is playing quickly, if he is playing one, two touches at the most, and launching these guys behind the Chicago Fire back line, it could be a long day for Chris Brady as well as us, the Fire fans. Now, the other thing about Montreal playing a double pivot, it's not just the fact that Piet or Saliba are going to just immediately turn and try and find Bryce Duke, their attacking midfielder. You know, that's option one. But also option, I'll say that's option 1A. Option 1B is looking for a ball over the top because when you are playing in that three, four, one, two, it tends to pull your opposing team forward because you are sitting in the middle of the field. Maybe you'd call it a mid block. Maybe you'd call it maybe a bit of a lower block, depending on how the fire, how they're going to play when the fire have possession, you kind of suck the opposing team forward a little bit. And that gives your central defensive midfielders, Piet and Saliba, the opportunity to lob some balls over the top. So the Chicago Fire defense are going to be have to be especially disciplined in this game, something we know they have struggled with. Uh, just to kind of finish off this conversation, some of my other notes here on Montreal's goalkeeping. Uh, again, James Pondemis was their starting goalkeeper. However, he dislocated his shoulder in the season opener against Miami. He was a decent keeper. He was I, I like Pondemis. Not just because he was Greek. I thought he was a little bit underrated, probably not getting as much press being on a very, very mediocre Montreal team, but I thought he was solid and that Montreal had a lot bigger holes that they needed to fill. But now you have Jonathan Saru uh, coming in. He's played all but two games this season. He's 21 years old. Maybe he's turned 22 by now, and it shows. He is a young keeper. He was on loan to a Canadian Premier League team last season. I believe it was Valor. FC uh, and now being called in to action with Pandemis's injury. He's young. It shows. Usually those young keepers have trouble reading crosses, have trouble commanding their box, and the statistics would show that. Looking at their last match, July 12, 2023, the Fire won that one 3-0. And again, it was Kutsius really creating things. It was getting the ball down the wing and crossing it in, and then it was a nice set-piece goal by Jardin Shakiri. So that's how I think things are going to match up. That's how I think Montreal can take advantage of the fire, how I think the fire can take advantage of Montreal. But looking at the odds here, looking at FanDuel, and this is, again, it's a little early. It's Monday night, September 11th. Odds and predictions on FanDuel. They have Montreal at minus 115, so a favorite here. They have Chicago at plus 280 and the draw at plus 270. So the odds makers at FanDuel are saying the Chicago Fire are as likely to win this game as they are to draw this game. 
I don't know if that bodes well for them or not. Uh, but really, the, the takeaway here, Montreal, the slight favorite, probably because they're the home team, even though they're not playing that well. But I still think, and here is my pick, I still think the home team gets the win here. I think Montreal gets the win here, 2-1. to one. As we've talked about on this show, the Fire have no offense. They have no creativity on offense. They don't know where to place the ball. You have your, your attacking midfielders in Gutierrez and Shakiri who aren't scoring. Your wingers aren't getting into dangerous positions, and your strikers also aren't scoring. I mean, Montreal might be the only team that doesn't have a five-goal scorer on the, uh, in the league. Then again, maybe the Fire don't either. Uh, that's going to have to be something I look into for next episode. But also, we have seen over the last week or two some rumors coming out about the Chicago Fire being completely dysfunctional in the locker room, as which is translating to them being dysfunctional on the pitch. That there was an argument between Kamara and Shakiri, that it divided the team, everyone took sides. These are some of the rumors that are coming out here, and it's not boding well for the fire. And unfortunately, the coaching staff haven't been able to, since there is no head coach, there's just five assistants at this point, uh, really kind of establish some sort of leadership or authority figure in this locker room, on the pitch, on the sideline, whatever the case may be. Meanwhile, Montreal is fighting for a playoff spot. They still think that they can make the playoffs and they can do it at the expense of teams like the Chicago fire. Yeah. The fire are fighting for a spot too, but are they really fighting for it? Right. We, again, getting back to the fact that they don't know what they're doing in terms of tactics, formations, and actual play. They don't know what they're doing in the locker room. They don't know what they're doing as an organization. So I would say, no, the fire are not fighting for a playoff spot the way that Montreal is fighting for a playoff spot. And to me that gives CF Montreal almost called them the impact again, the edge when it comes to the uh, the intangibles but also i just think that their players are going to execute at this point i would trust bryce duke ariel lassiter uh as well as opoku to execute better than gutierrez shakiri and whoever clopas decides to start at striker for the chicago fire i think that's the other advantage there actual on the field advantage and that's why i'm going with CF Montreal to defeat the Chicago Fire 2-1, and the Fire's miseries continue. So, quickly looking at these conference standings. Let's start at the bottom and make it a little more interesting here. In the Eastern Conference, at the playoff line, number 9, D.C. United on 34 points. Chicago Fire at the 10 spot on 32 points. So, a victory here could bring Chicago ahead of D.C. depending on other results, and it would draw Chicago level with Montreal and give Chicago the tiebreaker. Nope, would not give Chicago the tiebreaker because it's on wins. And right now, Montreal has three more wins than the Chicago Fire. So Montreal would still own the tiebreaker against the Fire, but if it ever gets to the point of goal differential and head-to-head, that might sway in favor of the Chicago Fire. However, right behind the Fire... Charlotte with 31 points, one point behind the fire. They still believe that they can make a push. And oh, by the way, even though you've got Miami in the 14th spot on 28 points, six points off the playoff line right now. So 10 to 14, it's a four point gap from eight to 14 is a seven point gap. So things are really tight in the bottom half of the Eastern conference. Now, moving up the standings, the uh, five, six, seven spots, in the East, Columbus, Atlanta, Nashville, 
on 45, 42, and 40 points, respectively there. Columbus with a big game coming up against Orlando. I'm really excited to see how that one's going to turn out. And then looking at the top of the Eastern Conference, Cincinnati, New England, Orlando, and Philly, one, two, three, four. And perhaps the big news, though, New England uh, is part, I don't want to say parting ways, because under Bruce Arena's investigation into using inappropriate and insensitive co uh, comments against players and, and staff members, he has resigned his position as head coach of the New England Revolution. Um, a real quick comment on this kind of sucks that this is the way Bruce Arena's I don't want to say his career is over, but I think his career is over. Um, it kind of sucks that this is the way that he's got to go out, especially with a good New England team that could probably make a run and contend for MLS Cup come playoff time. And I think that's what they had wanted to do, especially with the fact that they wanted to hold on to Petrovic as long as they possibly could. So it kind of sucks to see his career end like this. The other thing is my, my criticism of the league when they do these investigations is no one actually knows what happened. All we're getting are vague statements that he made insensitive comments. And we're all speculating as to what this could be. And I don't think that helps the league at all. Now, maybe you don't want to publish what was actually reported or what was said if it was that bad. And in fact, uh, MLS's very own Kalen Kyle said that he was making racist comments and used racist slurs. I don't know where she was getting her information from and MLS didn't know where she was getting her information from and they suspended her for 30 days. So that's why you haven't seen or heard her on any broadcasts for better or worse, depending on your opinion of Kayla and Kyle. Um, so maybe the, the MLS clearly doesn't want information coming out on this thing, not to lend credit to her statements or otherwise, but I think it would go a long way in helping the league if they actually actually told people what was said. And we saw it in some of the, the allegations of racist comments by Toxie Fountas in DC United, um, where supposedly he had, well, allegedly, which had been not confirmed, but, you know, they, they said it was credible, but they could never confirm it with their investigation that he had used racial slurs, but he'd come back and said, oh, I had, I had used, I had called the other player a dog or something like that. Right. Again, not that that makes it any better, but now the MLS is leaving what was said and what was going on up to the imagination of fans and sports writers and anyone else. So I think it would help the league and their own credibility in their investigations to maybe provide a little bit more information or for the club to be able to say certain things that they're doing in their investigations rather than just canceling press conferences like New England did. Anyway, it took us way off track of our playoff uh, picture review here. I think it was worth it. Moving over to the Western Conference, again, very tight in the bottom half, just like the Eastern Conference. The 8th and ninth place, the, the play-in spots here, San Jose and Dallas, 37 and 34 points. On the outside looking in, Austin and Portland on 33 points. Kansas City and L.A. on 32 points and 30 points. We don't even need to mention Colorado at this point. Uh, Kansas City making a bit of a run. The Galaxy coming back from 2-0 down to Western Conference leading St. Louis in their most recent game to draw and earn a point shows a little fight. But the Galaxy are going to need a lot more than a little fight. They're going to need a lot of goals if they are going to actually contend for the playoff spot here. But Portland has resurged a little bit. I don't know if that's tied into the firing of Gio Savarese and kind of putting the entire squad, the entire organization on notice. Uh, but they have have surged a little bit to make the playoff race interesting in the West. 
Now the bottom half of the uh, playoff picture here, Houston, Vancouver, and Minnesota, 5-6-7 on 39, 38, and 37 points. Minnesota currently owns the tiebreaker over San Jose. They have the same number of wins, 9, but they have a plus 5 goal differential compared to Minnesota. Looking at the top half of the West, St. Louis, number 1, Seattle, number 2, LAFC, number 3, RSL, number 4. Now, St. Louis is on 48 points. I don't think anyone is going to catch them for the top seed in the Western Conference. But again, two through seven, four-point difference there. So things are really tight. This is what the league wants. Parity, excitement, everything coming down to decision day to keep all of our eyeballs glued to the TV. Having Leo Messi in the hunt doesn't hurt either. We reached halftime of our show, and I want to remind everyone that Feed the Fire is brought to you by Skira Icelandic Spring Water. Icelandic for clear, Skira water comes from a spring in a government-protected nature preserve in Iceland with naturally low mineral content. This isn't your average water. Clearly, pun intended, it's one of the best. And Skira Icelandic Spring Water is available at your local 7-Eleven. Go out and get a couple bottles. Have it ready because when you're yelling at the TV, whether it's about football, American or European now, Make sure that you've got Skira there to kind of soothe those vocal cords. Next up, looking at some Chicago Fire news. There's been a few happenings uh, around the club since we last had our, our show. Um, no, no news of note, really, but there are some things we do got to mention to keep you up to speed with what's going on internally with the club here. Uh International break was this weekend. We saw the United States play an underwhelming game against Uzbekistan. Maybe they'll play a little less underwhelming game against Oman, to be determined. But there are a number of Chicago Fire players uh, that are out on international duty. Jardin Shakiri playing against Switzerland, and or playing for Switzerland, I should say. And the story is uh, that their first uh, opponent in this break is the nation of Kosovo, where Shakiri and his family are originally from. His ethnicity uh, is from Kosovo, and then his family emigrated to Switzerland, I think, when he was a year old. And so he even said, I have a lot of love for Kosovo, but I play and I represent for Switzerland. I have got a, lot of, a lot of love for Switzerland, so I'm there to win, I'm, and if I score, though, I won't celebrate. So at least he's saying the right things. Uh, Miguel Navarro got a call-up for Venezuela. Jairo Torres gets the call up for Mexico's under 23 team and actually gets an assist in his appearance there. So in one appearance for the U 23s, he has more goals and assists than his entire tenure with the Chicago fire. Yeah. Going well for him. Yorgos Kutsias, our Greek striker uh, got called up to Greece's U 21 squad uh, for a couple of matches. And then CF two player Amari Glasgow gets called up for Guyana in their Nations League matches. So congrats to all of them on their call-ups. Speaking of player movement, Alex Moniz of CF2 gets loaned out to Rio Grande Valley FC of the USL Championship. The loan is through the rest of this season. And we're going to get into some speculation here on what, what exactly this means for the club. But real quickly on the Alex Moniz loan, uh, Rio Grande Valley is in 11th place of 12 Western Conference teams. They need goals. They need some offense creativity. They have 34 goals in 28 games, which is towards the bottom of the Western Conference as far as offensive output. Now, Moniz hasn't been a prolific scorer in MLS Next Pro. I think he's got maybe five or six goals, uh, but he should get minutes. He absolutely should get minutes, and I would not guess that 
Rio Grande Valley would take him on as a as a loan, uh, a loanee, and the Fire would not loan him out if he wasn't going to get minutes uh, to try and help him out, especially since they're not going to be making the playoffs. Again, this is a, a five-game loan. It just runs to the end of the season. Now, what this means to me that the Chicago Fire are saying in making this loan is that the Chicago Fire as a club still think they can make the playoffs and still think that the roster that they have, the senior roster they have, is good enough to make the playoffs and win a game in the playoffs, right? You're not going to loan out one of your promising academy players, CF2 MLS Next Pro players, and then and then say, well, you know, we need to, this is kind of a lost season. Let's, let's evaluate our talent. No, they think they can make the playoffs. And honestly, that has been some of the speculation that I've been hearing, you know, from a lot of fire fans and people who may be more in the know uh, that this is Joe Mansueto looking at George Heights and Sebastian Pelzer saying, you guys put this roster together. You said it was good enough to make the playoffs. Let's see it. That's why we're not making any huge moves over the summer transfer window. That's why we're not announcing our co- uh, a new head coach until after the season. You said this roster was good enough. Let's see if you're right. And so this is either them doubling down on it or the fact that they need to get their young players minutes and it's not going to come at the senior team the last several weeks of the season. So they are loaning out Alex Moniz. You saw Kendall Burks was back with CF2 getting substantial minutes in their last game. So I doubt we'll see him back on the senior squad anytime soon, if at all. So that is what this Alex Moniz signing. Yes, it's great for him to get some more minutes, to get some real competitive minutes. It's great for real Grand Valley to get a more offensive type of a player when they're definitely lacking in that category. But to me, it sends a bigger message of we're not going to see any of these CF2 players come up and get minutes at the end of the season which would be the prudent thing to do because in my mind, I think the fire season's already over from a playoff standpoint and we need to move on to development. Well, that's our fire analysis for this episode. On a personal note, I do want to close out a little personal soccer thing here. I made my debut as a coach this weekend. I am coaching my son's second grade boys team. They played their hearts out in this wild 7-7 draw. Now it, it is uh, seven V seven. It's not full 11s yet, but they played to a seven, seven draw. Honestly, I really believe that the referee gave one of our goals to the other team. We should have won this game eight, six. I mean, we have one of the best strikers in the second grade league. He, he had a hat trick in the first 10 minutes, how we only scored three goals then in 50 minutes. I don't believe it. Or how we scored only four more in the remaining 50 minutes. I don't believe it. I think the ref lost count, but Hey, it's all about development when you're in the second grade and I'm really excited to see how these kids are going to come along and, and I'm really happy to, to help them out and coach them up. If you guys got any coaching tips or anything for youth soccer, please email me glasshousesoccer at gmail.com or shoot me a message uh, on X Twitter at glasshouse soccer. I appreciate everyone watching on YouTube, listening on your podcasts. Please make sure you follow along on Spotify Rate, review, like, subscribe, do what you need to do to support the show, to share the show, and to continue to grow the conversation around Major League Soccer and soccer in America. Let's go fire. Talk to you all next week.